0: A few weeks back, a few weeks back, we talked about providential relationships. We talked about this, this uh, idea that God puts in our lives, these providential relationships. And as we began our emphasis really for the summer, I wanted to revisit the idea because I feel that it really helps us to truly understand how important that you, that you can be in the life of another person because really, here's what happens. When people describe their faith journey, you're going to hear things from people in their faith journey like, I met this guy. I met this guy. I met this girl. When, 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 when they talk about the beginning of their faith, they're going to say, I, I, I heard about. I heard about the, the news of Jesus in, from a college professor that was just completely different. Or, you know, in a really difficult time of my life, my parents got a divorce, but my mom remarried. And my, my new stepfather, he took us to church. Or I was invited. I was invi- invited by this group of girls. And if you're a guy that gets invited anywhere with a group of girls, right, doesn't matter, right? Just show up. Or I joined a team, I joined a team, and they started talking about something bigger than just playing a game. Or it turned out my roommate was a Christian. Or my kids. My kids went to camp, and they came back, and they changed our family. Or my neighbor. My neighbor, they invited me to go to a group to join their small group that was meeting in their home. They invited me to come to church with them. And here's the result of it. You feel like God dropped these people into your life. You feel like God did it at just the right moment. It was providential. It was seemingly like an accident, an unplanned thing, but, but God kind of uses providential meetings to set in motion his plan. And If you were to hear my story, which I I shared a a couple of weeks back, it was about about this thing, right? About this ALF lunchbox. right? Not this one. Kind of sad I don't have the actual one. But God used that lunchbox to introduce me to someone that would be a friend from the very beginning, the first day of kindergarten. We, I took his lunchbox home. He took mine home. Our moms called each other. You know, here, the story just kind of develops in that way. We weren't even in the same class, but it built this friendship. And this friendship grew and grew, and we were the best of friends. But in middle school, when my, when my family just kind of blew up, right, uh, the, everything fell apart. My parents got divorced, and, and I was left just not knowing what to do, he was the one. His name was Jeff. He, he pointed me to Jesus, and I was in the sixth grade. And then later on, God used a man by the name of Steve Blaylock. in high school. He was my Sunday school teacher. He taught me things about following Jesus in high school, and then he used a man named Steve Coleman to, to really enter into my life during my first full-time ministry, youth ministry job. And he used a man named Steve Lee to bring healing and health back to me after being badly hurt in ministry. But here's what we know, and here's what I've experienced is that God continues to place the right people at the right time. And I'm pretty sure that you have people in your life that have been the right time, right place kind of people. Am I right? It's almost as if God has a plan. And more than that, God has a plan and he uses you. He uses me. And you never know, you never know when a mixed up lunchbox is going to change your life. And I think it's really important for us to put a name, to name that one. You know what I'm talking about, the one that introduced you to Jesus, the one that was there when you came to faith in Jesus, the one that encouraged you to think about, to step forward, to have a conversation, the one that introduced you to Jesus. So who was it? Who was it that was there when you decided? Who filled the gap? Who was it? It could have been a family member. But more likely, it was a friend. It was a church volunteer. Do you have the name? Do you have that person in your mind? This is yes, this is no. Okay. Okay. Let me pray. Father, we do thank you, Lord, for that person. That one person that is in the minds of each individual. God, we thank you. We thank you, Lord, that you used them. And God, we thank you, Lord, that it brought such marvelous people into this body today. It's in Jesus' name. Let me ask you something. That one person, were they a superhero? Were they superhuman? Instead of putting their pants on one leg at a time, did they do both at one time? I mean, what kind of person were they? Most of the time, you're probably going to say, well, they were kind of the salt of the earth kind of a person, right? But really, they had no special superpowers. They had no special powers at all. Here's what they had. They were available, and they were willing. And as a pivotal person in your life, they chose to invest They chose to invite you, and they chose to encourage you. And more often than not, they chose to walk alongside you. And they came with what they had. They came with what they had, and they let Jesus do the rest. And we said it this way a few weeks ago. If you will learn to do only what you can do, and, let, and trust God to do what only he can do, God is going to do some amazing things. And truly, it's really that simple. If you will do what you can do and trust God to do what only he can do, amazing things happen because you don't need a seminary degree. You don't need a certificate, and you don't even need a badge. And the great thing about this is, this works for extroverts and introverts. Do what you can do and trust God to do what only He can do. And we know it's true. We know this is true that God will use anyone and it works for everyone because here's what we know about the first disciples. First, I want you to know that there was nothing that was extremely notable about these guys. They weren't prestigious. They weren't prominent in their community. They didn't have these big job titles. They were, well, here's a description from the book of Acts. They were uneducated common men. And if you were to look at the Greek, that word uneducated, do you know really what it is it's idiotas. Huh? That's me. Right? They were uneducated. They were common. And Jesus could have chosen anyone. He could have chosen from anyone that he wanted, that he desired to have follow him. And I want you to ask this question with me. Why these men? Why? So let's understand just a little bit about what a common Uneducated man in that time frame would be. All Hebrew boys went to Torah school at the age of five. Their kinderg- kindergarten was to read the five first books of what we called the Old Testament, the first, <laughs> right? Idiotas, it's great. Um, all Hebrew boys went to Torah school. And they began at age five, they they started to learn and understand the first five books of what we call the Old Testament, and these boys knew the Torah. And the, the best ones, they went on to study beyond that, okay? They went on to study the rest of the scriptures. But the rest, at age 10, they went home to work with their family. They went home to work on the trade that their family had invested their lives in. And if those that had continued to study the scripture, by about the age of 17, if religious studies was about to be their career, and I mean, it's a career, they made money doing these things. If these men were to become religious teachers at age 17, as they knew the whole of the scriptures, they would then get to the point where they needed to choose a rabbi. And so they had plenty to choose from. There were were men teaching all over the place, and they were talking about the Scriptures and understanding and interpreting from their perspective. And if they found a rabbi that they admired, one that they thought, I want to be like that person, you know what they did, how they interviewed for their position? They went and sat at the feet of the rabbi. And as they sat at the feet of the rabbi, it was then putting out this request, can I learn from you? Can I learn to be like you? And as they sat at the feet of the rabbi, the rabbi would then choose to examine them, to ask them questions about the scripture, to give them tests about the scripture, to... Understand what these young men knew. And as he did that, only the best of the best were chosen. Only the best of the best, the smartest, the most talented, the ones that had a way about them that could answer with ease, those were the ones that became the disciples of the rabbis. And the rabbis determined as they were looking at these young men They looked at them, they studied them, they they interacted with them and they said, you know what, I think that you can become just as me. And the disciples that they chose, the disciples that they chose definitely, they said, could know what they knew and do as they've done. The disciples that the rabbis cho- chose would know as they knew and do as they have done. And these young disciples then would follow their rabbi, imitating them in every way. In fact, there was a blessing that, that for these men that would, may you be covered in the dust of your rabbi. May you be covered in the dust that you're following so closely that the, the dust from his feet ends up on you. But how did Jesus choose these men that would follow him? How did he choose them? What was Jesus' process? Well, Matthew tells us in chapter 4. While walking by the sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother. They were casting their nets in the sea because they were fishermen. But I want you to take notice of the significance of this moment. Jesus is not walking through the temple looking for the people that are going to follow him. He's not strolling through, listening to the teachers, looking at the young men, trying to figure out which ones are going to be the most like him. Instead, Jesus took a walk on the beach. Because Jesus wasn't looking for a select elite. Jesus chose the ones that would be willing. And they're fishermen. These are the young men that age 10 move back to do their chosen work in their community. At age 10, they they move back to, to be exactly as their father had been before them. This is not the trained elite. These are the common, the uneducated. And I take comfort in that that Jesus chose this squad to be his go-to people. These common, these uneducated, he chose this group to be the ones that would, that would pursue his plan for all the world. And these men, they lacked personal or political power. They had no office to offer. These men, they had peaked, really, in their their life, in in their whole career. They weren't making any new career moves. They were already in it. And this rabbi chose them to follow, to follow him and become like him. Get this to know God, to know God the way that he knew God common, uneducated, to to know what he knew. And even more amazingly, to do what he did and then to be filled with his power. These common men, the wise, they were skipped over. The powerful were skipped over. The philosophers, the scholars, they were all skipped. And Jesus chose these men because their work in the world wasn't going to come from their abilities. But their work in the world would come from what Jesus would do through them. if they had extreme talent and skill, it was only going to get in the way because they would not learn. They would not learn how to lean on Jesus' power. Paul said it this way. He said, my, that is Christ's power is made perfect. In weakness, Therefore, I will boast, I will boast the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest on me. I think we should all take extreme comfort in knowing that God wants to use you. And I think we should take comfort in knowing, or maybe not, I'm not sure, that he has taken away Every single excuse that we can offer. He says, My power is made perfect in your weakness. Because Jesus does not need your ability, He only requires your availability. So the big question is, have you made yourself available? Have you lifted your hand and said, I'm available? Jesus, Jesus said to Peter and Andrew, he said to them, very simply, follow me. Jesus chose to choose them. And Jesus chooses to use us. And Jesus, Jesus came seeking them, and they weren't even looking for him. They didn't even know to look for him. They didn't know it yet. They didn't know it yet, but they had been invited to life. They had been invited to a great adventure. They had been invited to something that they didn't understand. When they heard two words, follow me, they didn't get it, but they would. But I want you to know that their calling from Jesus is the same as ours. Jesus says to us, follow me. Follow me. He did not tell Simon. He did not tell Andrew at all where they were going. He didn't say, okay, guys, come follow me, and I have a map for you. And we're gonna just kind of follow this path here. And, uh, and, and here's the plan. The plan is we're gonna do some things, we're gonna say some things, and I'm gonna die. Right? be like, no. Doesn't sound right. He didn't give them an assignment, he didn't give them a task. He didn't call them just to do anything that was menial. When Jesus said, follow me, he said, become like me. I want you to become like me. He wants you to become like him. But to become like him, you have to know him. And to know him, you have to know his word. And here, we have so many opportunities for you to know the word of God. We have weekly messages. We have Bible studies. We have small groups. We have trainings. And if you are really serious about following Jesus and really serious about when Jesus said, follow me, that you will follow him. Please take advantage of these. Because if you get his word inside you, it will change all of you. Because God's word will renew your mind. It will focus your thoughts. And God's word will inform your decisions. It will give you a brand new way of thinking. It will give you a brand new way of talking. Jesus said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Jesus told these two guys, he said, Listen, if you'll follow me, I'm going to change everything that you think you know about fishing. Because this is true. To follow Jesus, you can't stay where you are. For us to truly follow Jesus, we can't be the same as we were when he found us. We have to move, you have to grow. You have to go where he says go. So the response of these men, immediately, they left their nets and they followed him. And going from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother. And they were in the boat with Zebedee, their father. And they were mending their nets. And he called them. And immediately they left the boat and their father, and they followed him. James and John left the two most significant things in their lives. They left their boat. They left their career. They left their livelihood. They left everything that they had been trained to know and to do. They left their boat. And they left their father. The most significant relationships in their life they walked away from. Their career and significant relationships. They walked away immediately And that helps us to know and understand that our relationship with Jesus, it has to come before both of them, our careers and our relationships. Jesus has to be more important in our life than our career and our closest relationships. The reality is that most of you won't lose your parents over Jesus but some may. Maybe God, though, will tell you to take a different path. He'll tell you to to take a different way, to be with him where He is doing something, to be where he is or to go where no one else is, to to stay where you are or to go. Jesus is going to tell you these things, right? Maybe Jesus is going, going to tell you to follow me. You have to leave your career. And you need to take the gospel overseas. But for many, for most, it's probably not going to be that dramatic. Because you're going to have moments where you have to decide which is more important, which is greater in your life. Is it Jesus or my career? Is it Jesus or this significant relationship? Is it, is it Jesus or what I thought I was going to do with my life. Is it Jesus or? See, Jesus said, follow me. And I will make you fishers of men. The call of Jesus to these four brothers was to fish for people. To fish for people and that is to bring in more disciples to become disciples that make more disciples that's kind of the the identity of somebody that follows Jesus is that you are on a mission to help more people to know Jesus following Jesus means that you submit to him in everything you lay everything down before him to his lordship and you say God I know, I know what I want but God what you want is greater simply said when Jesus says do you do till it's done just as Jesus said that they were to be fishers of men guess what so are we this is essential to being a follower of jesus now jesus isn't saying that all of us need to become street preachers like it's not like hey go get a milk crate and a bullhorn and go stand out on the corner right he it's not he's not saying that he's not saying that that every single one of us needs to be a traveling evangelist going from town to town drawing great crowds and talking about the gospel of jesus That's not what he's saying, but he's saying, listen, it's actually something that everyone does. It's not just a select group of people. You don't get an out by saying, oh, I don't have the gift of evangelism. That's not an out. We are to be disciples who make disciples because there is no such thing as a non-reproducing Christian. There's no such thing as a Christian that does not invite others to become a Christian. Does that seem a little much? So let me ask you a question. How is it that we show our love for Jesus and what he has done for us. And you say, Pastor, I know that's easy. We just love others. Yeah. Did you know that loving others means that we tell others? Did you know that the most loving thing that you can do with anybody in your life is to tell them about the goodness, the grace, and the mercy of Jesus? If we tell others, We bear fruit. Jesus said it this way By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and then prove to be my disciples. That you bear much fruit and prove to be my disciples. But Jesus didn't leave us without an understanding of what that was, the way that we were to go about producing fruit. He tells us plainly in what we call the Great Commission. He says in Matthew 28, verses 19 through 20, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And when Jesus gave that command, it was a command to go. The main verb that is supported by go, baptize, and teach, it's go make disciples. The verb, the action verb is make disciples, go, baptize, teach, go, baptize, teach, make disciples. That's your marching orders. This means that all we do in the great commission grows from the command and everything on it, the call that Jesus gives us is to make disciples and Jesus summarized his ministry, why he came in Luke chapter 19. He says, the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. That was his mission. I came to seek and to save the lost. And I tell you what, if we are truly followers of Jesus, if we truly follow him, not just I believe, not just I show up to church on Sunday, but if we truly follow Jesus, then this should be how we summarize our life too. That I live to come and to seek and save. The lost. That should be the summary of our lives as Christians, to seek and to save the lost. Listen, evangelisms will all, evangelists will always serve a purpose. There will always be a need for people to go out and bring in crowds of people to be evangelized, to hear about the grace of Jesus in a large group. Trainings that we participate in, you know what they do? They build confidence for us. Because the bottom line is this, in the Great Commission, you, me, all of us, we are God's plan for making disciples. God's plan for making disciples is not a something. It's a someone. And that someone is you. You, you are God's method. You are God's chosen instrument. And I believe it's time that you understood that and that you embrace it because God continues to place the right people at the right time. God continues to place you as the right person at the right time. Because you had the right person for the right time that introduced you to following Jesus, right? And that person or maybe another person helped you to grow as a disciple. You have the tools. You are God's plan. And you need to do what only you can do. And trust God to do what he can do. So I want you to commit to becoming the one for someone. I want you to commit to becoming the one for someone this year. So who's your one? Will will you commit? Who is it that you're going to commit to telling about Jesus? Who will you commit to teaching to follow as you follow? Who's your one? Because the Holy Spirit will equip you. Jesus promised to help you. And he promised to be with you. So no one in this room is exempt. If you follow Jesus, today you choose. Who's your one? Who's the one person over the course of this, the rest of this year, these six months? Who's that person that with God's hand in it that you will introduce to Jesus and bring to follow him this year? I'm going to give you a second to think about somebody. Who is it in your family? Who's the neighbor? Who's the coworker? Who's the friend at school? Who is it? Do you have them in your mind? Do you know their name? Get in your mind, remember their name. Can you imagine what it would look like if every person here Every person connected to 1st Castorville decided that they were going to do this. They were going to say, God, give me one person that I can introduce to Jesus and help them to learn to follow. God, would you give me just one person? God, would you show them to me? What if that was our goal for the rest of the year? I think we'd need more chairs in this room. For sure, you would need more space at your dinner table. And if we truly follow Jesus and introduce one person over the rest of this year, do you know what would happen? Jesus would change this community. If each one would be committed to reach one. So my question for you today is, are you a follower of Jesus? Are you a disciple? Are you a follower? And if you're not, maybe you are the one today.